want, I want you to know that um, we, we speak about being in the fire. We speak about suffering loss and grief. I want you to know that we are not immune to that. I, I, I don't stand up. We don't stand up here as, as people who see, uh, see hey, you guys are struggling, and uh, that's okay. I want you to know, thumbs up, everything's all right. Um, I did a little, like, like a grief audit in my life. In the last, over the last 18 months, I've, I've, I've been with eight dead bodies, eight dead people in the last 18 months. We've done, I've done many more. I've had more loss than that, but with people who have passed away, with family members and families um, in the last 18 months. Just Friday, I did a wedding, and, uh, and, and in the middle of the wedding, the, the bride's father had a massive stroke in the middle of a wedding. And uh, yesterday, next to the memorial service, one of her good friends, uh, his fr- whose son is friends with our son, and uh, was having a shower, keeled over, and, and passed away. And uh, we, we, we don't stand here as those saying, hey, guys, you're in a fire. You might have suffered loss. You might have suffered. You might be going through something, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. And we say, no, no, we're, we're, we're in the fire. And I can also stand here and say, you can come out the other side of that, not smelling of smoke. I honestly have never felt more alive. I've never felt more at peace. I've never felt uh, more compassion uh, than I have at the moment, um, being in the fire with people. And so I want you to know that. So I don't stand here. I don't stand here from afar. I stand here going through it with you. So we're in the second week of Mercy May, and I want to ask us. I want to ask the question: What is so important about justice? We're not doing Mercy May because. Uh, speaking about mercy and justice is like paying your TV license. It's the right thing to do. That's not why we're doing it, right? It's, we're doing it because it's the biblical thing to do. We're speaking about mercy and justice because it's the biblical thing to do. And so we want to understand uh, what is so important about justice, and then what is justice according to the Bible, and then, and then what should we do about it? Because I think it would be a shame. No, not I think. It would be a shame. If we got to the end of the next couple of weeks speaking about mercy and justice, and all we left with, all we left with was a head full of knowledge, or for some of us, a head half full of knowledge. Guys, if I make jokes and nobody laughs, it's going to be a long morning. I can, I can promise you that. If all we leave with at the end of speaking about mercy and justice is knowledge, we would have failed. The gospel always calls us to action. The gospel always puts the ball in our court and says, God says, I will do this for you, and then I want you to go and do that for others. The gospel calls us to action. And so we would have failed as preachers and as a church, as a leadership, as pastors. We would have failed in our task at the end of Mercy May if we are not moved to action by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to do those three things this morning. Why is justice important? What is justice according to the Bible? And what should we do about it? So why is justice important? In a nutshell, very quick, it's, it's so simple. Justice is important, and justice should be important for every single Christian because the God that we serve is a just God. Justice is who He is. It's part of His character traits. It is, it is one of His attributes. He is just, and therefore, because He is just, we should be just. And I, I honestly don't understand why justice is still such an issue for so many people in the church. It's as simple as this. God is just. He is committed to justice, and therefore, we should be also. We, we preach, and we stand for, and we fight for holiness because God is holy, right? How is it different? How is justice different? See, God is not more holy than He is just. Did you know that God is equally holy, and He is equally just? He is holy, 
And because he is holy, he fights for holiness and he calls us to do the same thing. He is loving. We preach and fight for love because God is love and therefore we should be doing, he is committed to love and therefore we should be doing the same thing. God is just, he is committed to justice and therefore we should be also. It's the same thing. We cannot preach one of God's characteristics, one of God's attributes at the expense of another. We cannot preach about a God who is holy without preaching about a God who is loving. We cannot preach about a God who is loving without preaching about a God who is just. God is not holy today, loving tomorrow, and just the next day. No, he is all holy, he is all loving, and he is all just all the time. It's because he is holy and loving that he is just. It is because he is holy and just that he's able to love. His attributes all work together. We cannot preach one attribute of God at the expense of another. How will people know that the God of heaven is holy if his representatives here on earth, us, the church, are not committed to holiness? We don't, we don't live holy lives and we don't fight for holiness. How will they know? How will people know that the God of heaven is just if his representatives here on earth, us, the church, are not committed to the fight for justice? See, ignoring justice isn't a political problem, it's a spiritual problem. When you and I ignore justice, it's a spiritual problem. Ignoring justice is on the same level of problem as ignoring God's holiness. We cannot ignore God's holiness, and yet we so often ignore God's justice. We cannot ignore one characteristic, one character trait, one attribute of God at the expense of another. If we preach holiness, we cannot ignore holiness we cannot equally ignore God's justice. Not fighting for justice isn't a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. We've allowed it to become a political issue because we've made the gospel that we preach too small. The gospel that we preach is too small. We have, and we haven't thought about justice correctly. So we're going to look at what justice means according to the Bible and then also what the difference between charity and justice is. And I think too many people confuse charity and justice, and so we leave the work of justice to NPOs and to the government, no friends. We've got NPOs that deal with some, of, some justice work, formally they deal with it, but the fight for justice is not the fight for the politician. The fight for justice is the fight for the Christian. The fight for justice is not a political fight. It is a fight for the Christian, not for the politician. For many Christians, the gospel that we preach is simply too small. See, God doesn't only call us to be holy, he calls us to do holy things. Would you agree with that? God doesn't only justify us, he calls us to do just things. A sign, of my, a sign that God has made me holy is that I do holy things. A sign that God has justified me is that I do just things. I fight for justice. Let's look at a few scriptures. Luke chapter 4 Verse 17, this is the first time that Jesus teaches, he, he begins his ministry in essence, in Luke chapter 4, and he says this, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue are fastened on Jesus. He's dropped a bomb, and then he sat down. Everybody is watching him. Then he began, saying, he began teaching them, and he said, Today this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. I love that Jesus has handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, okay, if you want me to start preaching from Isaiah, here's where I'm going to start from. And he begins, he looks, and he looks, and he looks, and he finds the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Uh, Of course, what Jesus is talking about here is spiritual. Yes, he's come to preach good news to those who are spiritually poor. Yes, he's come to proclaim freedom to those who are spiritually oppressed. Absolutely. But what he's talking about is physical. It's natural. It's practical. He preaches practically good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind, to the vulnerable, to the poor, to the oppressed. It's spiritual, but it is natural at the same time. I love um, that, that scripture in Isaiah 61 that Jesus reads from. Four verses later, it goes on. Isaiah 61 verse 8, it says, I, the Lord, love justice. I love justice. But I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. A couple of chapters later, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist isn't convinced. He, he begins to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he sends one of his disciples, he sends some, some of his guys uh, that are following him. He says, please go and ask Jesus, is he the Messiah? Is he the promised one? Or is there somebody else to come? Jesus answers, answers his disciples, John's disciples, in uh, Luke seven twenty two. He says, he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus says, you are able to tell that I'm the one, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who was promised. You're able to tell that by what you see and hear, by the way that I treat the poor, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. You can't see and hear spiritual things necessarily. Those are practical things. You, can, you can't see something that's not there, right? You can't hear something that doesn't make a sound. Jesus says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard, what I'm doing. By, you, you can tell that I'm the promised one, I'm the Messiah, by what you see me doing and by what you hear me doing. How I treat the vulnerable, the oppressed, that is, that is how you can tell that I'm the promised one. I, the Lord, he says, love justice. I, the Lord, love justice. Zechariah 7 Verse 8, it says, The word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Friends, justice is important to God because it is a part of his character. And because it's important to God, it should be important to us also. So if we're saying that justice is, is important to God and that we should be fighting for justice because Jesus fought for justice, what is justice? So I think one of the reasons we don't fight for justice is because we misunderstand it. And so, so often we hear Christians saying, can we just preach the gospel? Can we just preach the gospel? Let's get people saved and then everything will magically fall into line. To which I respond, yes, absolutely, we can and should just preach the gospel. But so often the gospel that we preach is so narrow, it addresses one issue. Friends, the gospel of Jesus doesn't address, address one issue of my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ addresses every issue, every area of my life. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is not is that there's one area of my life, one problem that I have is solved. No. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus affects every single area that I'm involved in, every area of my life. That's why we, we, we spoke in our uh, With New Eyes series, looking at a Christian worldview and Christian ethics. Uh, racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Our sexuality, our finances, how we treat our bodies, these are gospel issues. Can't we just preach the gospel? Yes. And this is what the gospel looks like. 
to bring it into today, justice is a gospel issue. Hebrews, uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I want to teach you two Hebrew words today. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't understand Hebrew very well, but I want to teach you anyway. Right? Isn't that what most teachers do? They don't understand, but they teach anyway. No, I love teachers. But I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you two Hebrew words. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says this. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Love, just, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The first Hebrew word is the word meshpat. Say the word meshpat. Meshpat. It means to treat people equitably. It means, it implies rectifying justice. It means to correct an imbalance, to put, a, to put wrong, a, to put right a wrong. And it puts the emphasis on the action of doing justice. So it takes justice from being a, a, a theory, a concept that we speak about, and it gives it legs. It, it puts it into practice, right? You can talk the theory. At Varsity, you learn the theory of architecture, and then when you go and work in the world, you draw, you draw a house, and then you've got to build it, and suddenly it's, suddenly it's cement and brick and, and blocks, and it's a lot more, the practice is a lot different to the theory, right? And so we can, we can talk the theory of justice as much as you want. And God says, no, act justly. Do the work of justice. Meshpat takes it from a theory that we talk about and it puts it into practice. It says, act justly. That's the word meshpat. This word meshpat is used 200, over 200 times in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, Leviticus 24 verse 22 God warns Israel and he says, have the same meshpat, have the same rule of law, have the same equitable treatment for the foreigner as you do for the native, for the outsider as you do for the insider. Have the same rule of law, the same equitable treatment for the outsider and for the insider. Every time this word is used, it is used in the context of equitable treatment of people by people. That's what meshpat is. Every time, most, it is most often used in the context of treatment of the vulnerable. We don't need to be told to treat the rich equitably. We don't need to be told to treat our friends equitably. We need to be told to treat the vulnerable equitably. The Bible speaks about four categories of vulnerable people. It speaks about the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor, because that was the vulnerable categories of people in those days. I think today, 2021, we can add a few more categories. The migrant worker, the refugee, the homeless. Many single parents, many elderly people, those are the vulnerable in our society. God says, when you, when you deal with those vulnerable people, treat them with meshpat. Treat them with rectifying justice. Put right what is wrong in their life. Treat them with equality, the same rule of law. I love justice. I love meshpat. I love equitable treatment of people, God says. Of course, this is a spiritual issue, but it's far more than that. It's a practical issue at the same time, right? If I was to murder someone, I've got a spiritual problem. I've broken God's law. The penalty of sin is death. There's a spiritual solution available, forgiveness through God's son, Jesus. So I've got a spiritual problem. There's a spiritual solution to it. But it's also, if I've murdered somebody, it's also a practical problem, right? I've, somebody has lost a life. I've, my sin has created an imbalance. My spiritual problem, there's a solution. But I've still got to put something right in the natural. It is spiritual, but it is natural. It is practical. You can see it and hear it at the same time, right? I want to tell you a story. South Africa in the early to mid-90s set up something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission which was set up to administer some sense of justice to some of the people who had been wronged through the, the oppression of apartheid. And a man called Alex Bahrain was one of the commissioners of the TRC, and he writes a few books. 
and he shares this story. He says, a frail black woman around 70 years old stood, stands, stood in front of the room. Across the room and facing her were several white men. One of them was a man by the name of Fundenbrook. And this man had just been uh, implicated and found guilty in the death of this woman's husband and her son. What had happened was uh, years prior, uh, he, him and his, his officers had come and they'd taken this woman's son and they'd shot him at point blank range and then set fire to his body. And while he burned, they, ha they had a party and carried on drinking. A few years later, they came for this woman's husband and they took him. And for months, she didn't know where he was. She had, he, she had no idea of where he was. And two years after they had taken her husband, they came back and took her. And he says, he tells a story about how vividly she had remembered being taken blindfolded to the side of a river and then being unblindfolded and shown her husband's body bound and beaten, lying on a pile of wood. And as, this, as the policeman poured petrol on his body, the last words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And here this woman now stood in court. And she'd listened to the, the confessions offered to the TRC by Mr. Fundenbrook. Desmond Tutu was chairing the commission, and after they'd heard this man's confessions to the TRC, he, turns, he turned to this lady and he said to her, what do you want me to do? What should I do? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? And this woman very calmly, very quietly stood up and confidently, she said, I want three things. Firstly, I want to be taken back to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can take up some of the dust and give him a proper burial. She said, secondly, because my husband and my son were my only family, I want Mr. Fundenbrook to become my son. I want him to come to the township twice a month and spend a day with me so that the little love that I have left in my heart, I can pour out on him. Like Jesus paused in the synagogue and every eye was on him, every eye was on this woman. And she stated the third thing. She said, this was also the wish of my husband. And so I kindly ask that somebody would help me to stand up and to go across the courtroom so that I can embrace Mr. Fundenbrook so that he can know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants came to help this lady to her feet and to help her across the courtroom, Mr. Fundenbrook, who'd been standing there listening to this, fainted. And as he fainted, all those in the courtroom, friends, family, this woman's community, who had been so brutally affected, the same as she had, began to sing softly, and quietly in the courtroom, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, friends, when we understand grace, we will understand God's justice. And we will understand that justice, like grace, of course, it is a spiritual issue. But at the same time, it has to manifest in the physical. It is practical. It is natural. It can be seen and heard and felt and touched. Like grace can be heard and seen and felt and touched. Justice can be seen and heard and felt and touched. Meshpat, treating people with equality and with justice. Meshpat is equal weighting, it's balance. How can forgiving somebody be just? How can forgiving somebody be just? Did you know that God can't just forget your sins? God is unable to simply forget your sins. Before God can forget, he has to forgive. In order for God to forget, he has to forgive. If he never forgives, he cannot forget. Because if he was to just forget, there is an imbalance. There is no justice. He would be unjust if he just forgot your sins. Because he is holy, he's unable to ignore sin. 
Because he is just, he's unable to forget sin. But because he is loving, Jesus offers on our behalf forgiveness, which makes it possible for him to forgive and then forget. Romans chapter 3 says, All are justified freely by this grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, grace and forgiveness is just. It is equitable. It is meshpat. The problem of injustice, the problem of sin, is not only spiritual, it is metaphysical. You can see it. You can touch it. Because I can see the effects of sin, grace, the solution, forgiveness, justice, the solution, must be seen. As I can see the effects of sin, as I can see the effect of injustice, the solution has to be seen, has to be heard, has to be felt, exactly the same way. You see, friends, what, what did Adam and Eve lose in the Garden of Eden? They died a spiritual death, but creation was put under a curse. The world, all of creation was put under a curse. The effects of sin were far more than spiritual. They were physical and natural. They could be seen and heard and felt. And so therefore, the solution must also likewise be seen and heard and felt. How much more? How much more? God says to Micah, do justice, do mishpat, and love mercy. The word, uh, he, this Hebrew word here that is translated mercy is the word kasad. Say kasad with me. Kasad. It is God's great mercy, his loving kindness, and it's the motivation for Meshpat. God says, I love justice. I love equitable treatment. I love grace. I love forgiveness. And the reason I love Meshpat is because of Kasad. Because of my great mercy, because of my loving kindness, I love forgiveness. I love equitable treatment because I'm great in mercy. See, friends, as, um, as Meshpat puts the, the emphasis on doing justice, on the action of justice, so Kasad is the motivation. Kassad puts the emphasis on the motivation. God says, do justice, motivated by my great mercy and by my loving kindness. You see, friends, pity and anger are poor motivators. If I'm only ever motivated to do justice by pity or by anger, I'm going to feel pity today and I'm going I'm to be angry at injustice today, but then tomorrow I might not. But if I'm motivated by God's great mercy, his loving kindness that he shows to me day after day after day, if that is my motivation, the great kindness that God has shown to me, the unforgivable that God has forgiven in me, I can very easily forgive the unforgivable in others, the inexcusable, because God's forgiven it in me every single day. Because justice is important to God, it's, justice is important because it is who He is. Justice is a restoration of what was lost, a balance and in equity. How should we respond? Four quick things and then we're done. How should we respond to this call for justice? Number one, keep your motivation sustainable. We did a finance series in September last year, and, and Rich spoke about principled giving. And principled giving is something that allows me to give and uh, still to put food on my table, right? If I, if, if I don't give in a principled way, if I don't give according to my budget, if I don't budget my giving, what happens, I'm motivated by compassion, and I give, today I give everything away, and so then my children go hungry tonight, right? It's a poor motivator, and it's not sustainable. So what happens is we don't actually give. 
And so if I'm motivated by pity and anger, today I give a lot to charity and tomorrow I'm not feeling so pitiful and so I don't fight for justice with the same passion. It's unsustainable. You have to keep the motivation for, uh, for the fight for justice sustainable. Our motivation must always be kasad. It is God's great mercy, his loving kindness shown towards us that motivates me to fight for justice. If we don't, we get, Rich spoke last week about compassion fatigue. What happens when we get compassion fatigue? We, 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 don't, we, don't, feel, we, don't, have, we don't have pity because our hearts are hard. Our hearts get hard. Friends, justice is never achieved by people with hard hearts. Justice is only ever achieved by people with soft hearts. My heart remains soft because I'm motivated by God's great kindness, his great mercy that he shows me. That keeps my heart soft as I I do justice for others. Number two, we need to recognize all of the effects of sin so that they can be addressed holistically. In Genesis chapter three, what takes place when sin enters the world? What takes place? Of course, Adam and Eve uh, are under a curse spiritually. They have a spiritual relationship with God severed. They suffer a spiritual death, but it's far more than that. Mankind, Adam and Eve are created with four primary relationships, and sin severs all of those, right? We define poverty as lack. If you define poverty as lack, and if we're saying that what mankind needs to flourish is four primary relationships, which I'll go through in a minute, sin removed those, and so in effect, what sin did is it put man into relational poverty. Man needs a relationship with God, a relationship with himself, a relationship with others, and a relationship with creation to flourish. That is how Adam and Eve were created, with four primary relationships, with God, with the self, with others, and with creation. And sin caused a poverty. It broke all four of those relationships. And so our solution to poverty cannot be one of those four. Yes, it must be one, but it must be four. It can't just be one. It has to be four. So there is a solution to my spiritual condition, God's forgiveness through his son, Jesus. There is a solution. But we need to help rectify people's relationship to themselves. As you love yourself, so love your neighbor. We need to help people to love themselves. Or they will never love their neighbors as they love themselves. They don't love themselves. We need to help people to love each other, right? That is part of the, the, the ministry of reconciliation. Is we, we reconcile man to God, but we also reconcile man to man. That is a fight for a Christian. When I speak... Let's preach the gospel. That is part of the gospel. If it's not, the gospel is too narrow. It's too small. It's not all-encompassing. A relationship with creation. Friends, the, the, the creation, sustainable energy, sustainable waste production, global warming, these are issues for a Christian. Man was, man was created to have stewardship, to have dominion of creation. We gave it up. We should be rectifying it. This is a fight not for politicians. This is a fight for Christians. This is a gospel issue. It is putting right a relationship that was lost, that was severed through sin. We need to recognize all of the effects of sin so that we can address justice holistically. Number three, keep remembering the difference between charity and justice. See, charity simply gives something to a poor person and then we feel better about ourselves. What justice does is it looks to restore an imbalance, motivated by God restoring my imbalance. See, the problem is that many charities leave people in a cycle, a perpetual cycle of injustice. 
dependence on charity to survive. That's not justice, that's unjust. Many charities are unjust because all we do is that we give money. See, here's what charity does. Charity winds the window of your car down and throws a few coins out the window and we think we've done our job. That's charity. No, justice opens the door. We would say justice is relational. What man lost is relationship. Justice is relational. It opens the door and speaks to a person and then gives them money and then helps them get a job. That's justice. Charity, is, charity gives, justice loves. See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I could give all I have to the poor, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. You can give everything you own to a charity. If you have not love, if you do not have relationship, you gain nothing. Charity gives, justice loves. Number four, and lastly, ask God to help you understand justice and to act justly. First, uh, if you're a Christian here, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3, what does Solomon ask God for? He asks God for wisdom, but it's a very specific wisdom. He asks God for wisdom in administering mishpat. Go and read it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. God says to Solomon, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Solomon says, God, will you please give me wisdom in administering mishpat? He says, will you help me? Teach me to treat others equitably. Teach me to rectify what is put wrong. Treat me to treat others, help me to treat others with justice. Teach me to do justice. God says, because you've asked for that, not for riches, I will give it to you, and I will also give you riches. What you've asked for is a fight that is close to my heart, the fight for meshpat, the fight for rectifying justice. What you've asked for is pleasing to me. I will give you wisdom to do justice. This is something that we can ask God for, friends. Ask God to help you understand justice and to act justly. And be prepared to face opposition. See, justice is offensive to people that don't understand grace. Justice is offensive to people that don't understand grace. And unfortunately, the people, the very people that should understand grace the most, people in the church are often the people that are opposition to justice. They'll call you names. They'll throw accusations at you. When we understand God's grace, we should understand his justice a whole lot better. Can you stand with me, please?